0: Welcome to to Every Generation the Broadcast Ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields located in Jamesburg, New Jersey where we teach through the entire Bible verse by verse and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation 12. And the last time the message was titled The Third Temple and Two Witnesses and Listen, a lot of people are watching more and more remotely, which is awesome. Um, some people are skeptical. Maybe somebody who's related to them is a Christian and said, oh, check this out. But last Sunday we really, or two Sundays ago, we made a case for how the Bible predicts things that it was really impossible to predict. So you have late first century, the disciple John is given these visions, and he's, he's looking at the future, right, So he predicts things that happen 1900 years or more in the future. And for anyone who's a skeptic, if you really study the Bible, you could say, wow, how could they know that? Seriously, I mean, can we predict? Everybody's saying 2020 was such a horrible year. What's 2021 gonna be like, right? So we can't even predict what's gonna happen next year. And here you have John, a simple man, simple education is predicting things that happen almost two millennia later. This morning, the message is titled The Big Picture, right? Revelation 12. And we're going to see God use some symbolism, very powerful symbolism, to also show us things that are going to happen in the future. But it's also, and I love this word, a diachronistic look. And if you take that word apart, it comes from Greek counterparts. It means that we're looking at history across the ages, So, again, we have difficulty with that. You know, we look and see in linear time as human beings. But God's going to give us a picture really from creation to the fall of mankind, to Israel, to the Messiah, to things that are going to happen in our future. And, again, if you're uh, agnostic or you're skeptical and you actually start to check this stuff out, you're going to have some questions. And if you're intellectually honest, you will say, you know, I want to learn more because I've never seen this before. Um, again, we need to know our bible, so there 's some really good stuff in here as far as applications as well so we 're going to jump in and we 're going to look at it in three parts. so first one it says now this is pretty much halfway through the the visions, halfway through the book, and God gives John some concrete pictures of things, concrete discussions about empires that have risen and fallen here this chapter is kind of interspersed in the middle and there's some symbolism here. And we have to disciple the sim, decipher the symbolism. So verse one, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems, or crowns, on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So one out of three is the symbolism of the woman. The woman is Israel. When we go back to Genesis, and this is so important to know, the New Testament comes alive when we have a foundation in the Old Testament. They go together. So in Genesis 37, 9 through 11, Joseph has a dream that I believe God gives him because God helps him to interpret the dream and share it with his family. But in the dream, the son is his father, Jacob, or Israel. His mother, uh, Rachel, is the moon. And the 11 stars who bow down to Joseph are the 11 tribes of Israel, or his 11 brothers. Now here, there's 12 instead of 11. In the scripture, if you don't understand that symbolism changes, it morphs, depending on what God is trying to show us next. We have a foundation in the symbols And then there's some subtle changes and they're there for a reason. So here, it's all 12 stars, including Joseph. So the woman is Israel. And there's a lot more to this as we go through it. Contextually, it just makes perfect sense that the woman is Israel. Uh, The woman has been represented in good ways, depending on the woman and depending on the symbolism in evil ways. So the woman here is good, uh, the bride of, of Christ, right? The church is represented as good we collectively are the bride of christ and then you see two figures that are bad whether it's jezebel who is a real person or her spirit we see in revelation Um, and also the harlot who rides the beast is also evil and we're going to get to that when we cover that chapter verse three the fiery red dragon well red in chapter six right the the war horse the rider on the horse and uh the red was uh, you know it was a symbol of of the the carnage and the death that was going to take place because of these mass wars. So red is an indicator, but the fiery red dragon is Satan. He's the embodiment of evil. We're going to talk more about that as we get further down. He has seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads, which is not literal. So very important. This symbolism also gets tweaked over time. In Daniel chapter seven, we see this figure, this grotesque figure with the heads and the horns. We see it in Revelation 12. We're going to see it in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. Again, we got to put it all into context. The next Sunday that we cover this, we're going to see uh, the Antichrist, who has, is described in certain ways, but a little bit different than what we see in chapter 12, and we have to decipher why that is. But if you look at the head, horns, and crowns, you have to think of a power structure Right? What has Satan been able to do with, through mankind since the fall, since mankind has forfeited God's good creation and marred it by sin? So the heads, horns, and crowns, you have to think, and I'm going to get specific, you have to think power structure. Kings with kings go empires, right? Monarchies of old. Not many monarchies today, but there still are some. Uh, monarchies have morphed into nations and regions, Okay, Um, nations and and heads of nations, maybe not the power that they had in the monarchies. uh, Nevertheless, some nations go and do certain things that are wicked based on the leadership and also geographical hills, which we'll get to. So let's look at the seven heads. What I believe the proper interpretation is, so if you think of a head of an animal, it sees, it hears, it thinks, it responds, it processes. So it's a head. The seven heads to me are the seven dominant empires from the beginning of time that have risen and fallen. So if you look at Egypt, look at Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, that's six. The last head, now it doesn't say here specifically, but I tend to believe, I tend to think that the ten horns are on the last head. I don't know that for a fact. I will always tell you when something is my opinion versus when something is absolute in the scripture. And I'll tell you why I believe that, because the last head is trying to rise, but it hasn't risen yet. This is the um, the new empire that the Antichrist or the charismatic globalist, however you want to describe him, will take him his seat in this global movement. There'll be armies, there'll be tanks, there'll be rifles, there'll be um, troops, right? And he will now take maybe the UN, maybe some of these global organizations, maybe NATO, from peacekeeping to imperialistic. Not a stretch, not a stretch. If you look at history of the 20th century, it happens within, in a second, how the leadership changes and says, well, now we wanna conquer, we wanna take land. This is the evil of mankind, right? So the last head, I believe, with ten horns, will be the last empire that is an outcropping of the old Roman Empire. Rome never died, and Babylon never died. They live, not necessarily geographically, but they live spiritually through a, 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 a world that has largely rejected Jesus Christ. So the Seven Crowns, Diadems versus Stephanus little unusual, because in the Greek, the Stephanus was sort of the victor's wreath, but the diadema was something reserved only for Christ. That was the king, king's lord of lords, that was his crown. However, John sees this picture of these heads with diadema on them. What does that tell you? It tells you that in these empires, right, Satan is God. So, Roman Empire was pagan, uh, Egyptian Empire was pagan. It didn't mean that all the people in the empire were bad, right? There were Christians and Jews in the Roman Empire. But the head was demonic. There's something about the power of a man or a woman who um, has rejected God, has enormous wealth, enormous power, enormous influence. They themselves become a God. But what they don't realize is that there's somebody who's pulling their strings because the power vacuum in their heart has pushed. The Lord out. So now there's a void. There's always a power vacuum. You see this all over the world in history. Okay. So let's move on. Verse 4 The dragon drew a third of the stars from heaven, fallen angels who followed Satan. The dragon's desire is to devour the child as soon as it is born. Now, the child and the dragon are persons. When you start to look at the symbolism, there's obvious. Things about these persons that did certain things that you could say, I know what that is. The woman is different. The woman is a general picture of the nation of Israel. So we're going to start to look at the the dragon and the child, okay? And then we're going to get into some more fun stuff like application. But we have to lay the foundation here. Uh, the child is Christ, and Satan's desire was to devour devour Christ as soon as he was born. And we see that in Matthew chapter two, uh, to thwart God's plan, especially the redemption of mankind. Why? Because I suspect that, so Lucifer was, um, uh, he was, according to you see Isaiah, Ezekiel, all these prophetic books that talk about the, the archangel Lucifer and how he was even created with instruments. Um, maybe part of his body on the day he was born some speculate that he was the worship leader for God but he was so lifted up with pride that he wanted to be like God well there's only one person that can fill that position and uh, he had to go (laughs) so he is cast down now what is Satan's issue with Jesus what does he care if Jesus dies on the cross or not isn't he just concerned about his own survival I suspect that the angels know things, well, I don't suspect, I'm pretty sure of this. The angels know things that we don't know. And I, I'm gonna make a link here and think that the, even the demonic realm knew how important we are to God and how important it is to redeem us. God loves every person in this room. He loves every person on the planet. You know, we could look, we look on TV and see the worst people and just despise them, but God loves them. He wants them to change. He wants them to come to him, but he's also given every person free will. So if you've come into this church this morning carrying a burden, an emotional burden, I can't see past your frontal lobe, but God can, um, know that he wants to minister to you. And if you have come in, and I'm talking about it, and you're getting uncomfortable, or you're thinking, wow... um, This is God. Nobody set me up. Nobody said that person's going to come in, you know. So I just want you to be, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, in Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, right, they would have eternal life. That's an important thing to understand. In verse 17, it says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus, the world might be saved. So you have to understand that. So it's kind of funny, and it's fun to, as ministers, to speculate about what goes on in heaven, what the angels know that we don't know, but why Satan fought so hard to stop the redemption of mankind? Maybe he thinks if he's successful, he could hurt God's heart because God loves us so much. Thankfully, he was not able to thwart that plan. Pretty neat stuff here. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 17 chronicles the fall of Satan. In Matthew 2, so you have the general picture of the dragon trying to devour the child as soon as it's born, right? And he's obviously unsuccessful, but it isn't for lack of trying. In Matthew 2, Herod, right? Skeptics, go back to your history books, secular history. To me, history is history. You can't change history. Um, Herod the Great was alive at the time, In Matthew 2, he tried to kill. He heard about this Messiah. The wise men came to him. He's getting paranoid. So he wipes out a village of uh, toddlers. Now, people say, I love the skeptics. They go, well, that's ridiculous. Who would ever do that? You've never studied genocide of the 20th century? You think they spared children? It's evil. It's demonic. There was a saying in Rome in the first few centuries Because even after he died, they still said it. Of Herod the Great, he was a a paranoid man, paranoid leader. He had three of his sons murdered because he thought that they were going to take his throne. Imagine that. You have a bunch of kids and three of his own sons he had killed. The saying went around that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Look it up. It's an actual saying. I love to intersperse Roman history with what the Bible says because it just backs it up. So tell me that that didn't happen. It did. It did. Let's go back to uh, verse 5. It says, the child was caught up to God in his throne. So this is the ascension following the resurrection. And you see, okay, this is another thing, and I have to explain it. It took me a while to get the hang of it, is that God deals with time all at once because he's God. He's got the helicopter. He's got the aerial view where we see things as the spectator watching the parade, we watch it go by in real time. We think about the past, sometimes we forget, we don't know the future, he sees it all. So what you start to see is that the Matthew 2 incident where the child is born, right? Fully God, fully man, God the son is born and the dragon tries to take it away and he does it through um, Matthew 2, he inspires Herod the Great who's an evil man anyway, he's just a useful idiot for Satan. So it doesn't work. And then what we have is that incident when Jesus is like a toddler or an infant, more a toddler. And then it jumps to the child is caught up to God. Well, what happened to 33 years? Remember, this is how God sees things. He points us to the important things. So on the timeline to the left is creation, it's the angels, Satan falls, um, we move to the fall of mankind into sin. Uh, we move all the way to the woman who's being pregnant, which is Israel birthing the Messiah. Um, the child is born and it's caught up to God Th- 33 years later. So there's a, there's a, there's like a speed. It, it, it's the frame speed up. I see this. We also see this in Isaiah 61. Jesus, while he's on the earth is reading Isaiah 61 chapter uh, Isaiah 61, two, and he's speaking about all the things the Messiah would do. In the middle of the verse, Jesus closes the book and said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's telling all his hearers, I'm the Messiah. What was written in Isaiah 61 is about me. Wait, Jesus, finish the verse. No, because the rest of the verse speaks about the second coming. So even in Isaiah 61, in one verse, we jump from the first century to probably some 2,000 years in the future. But God can do that because He's God. We have to catch up, it's a learning curve. So make make sure everybody understands that uh, the child was to rule with a rod of iron. Psalm two tells us that the Psalm two tells us that the son will rule with a rod of iron. He'll rule from Jerusalem. Revelation nineteen. We didn't get there yet. We'll see this actually happen, although it is in our future. Um, and again, this is of course at at the second coming of Christ. Let me go back to verse two. I skip things for reasons, and then come back to it. So the pain upon labor of this woman. They go to great lengths to tell us that this pregnancy was painful. Again, it's symbolic. So some people, and I look at this and I can say, okay, not everybody agrees with, and I, I just do a lot of research on it and you know, what's the proper interpretation. Sometimes you get into a situation I call micro-macro. And some people look at this micro. Okay, well, at the time that Jesus came, the Jews were under heavy Roman oppression. They were oppressed, okay? So the pain upon childbirth is the Messiah comes at a time that's just a miserable time, which is pretty awesome because God can make um, lemonade out of lemons, and he heals people, raises the dead, does all that stuff. So that's a micro view. I'm looking at this from a macro view. I'm looking at this as the cosmic battle between good and evil. And the heartbreak that I've experienced to see people who um, you, you introduce them to God, and it doesn't take they use their free will to just continue in the world. So in a macro picture, the Messiah comes and the world is very hostile. It's very, I need my personal space. It's, it sounds like today. It's very, um, people are fighting between among ethnicities. I mean, does humankind ever really change? Uh, it's only the Prince of Peace that are gonna change these things. So in, in my uh, estimation of this is this this, when Jesus came, and Jesus also really forced humanity to make a choice. You're going straight. When you're introduced to Christ, you can't go straight anymore. You either There's a fork in the road, and you have to choose which path to take. Is it the one that Christ is on, or is it the one that's not? And many, many in the world find the one that's not. Few find the one, I guess by percentages, that, that, that find Christ as their Messiah, but that's the only way our sins can be paid for and we can be in the presence of God is through what Jesus did on the cross. So it's very powerful. Verse 6. So we're going we're gonna to fast forward again. The woman fled into the wilderness. What? It's a little confusing until you, you really study the Bible and you study Daniel and you study Revelation and this number keeps coming up. 1260 days. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1260 days. Um, Forty. 42 months and three and a half years. And it just is, it keeps being said differently, but it's the same figure. It's the same amount of time. And that's what we talked about was that, that in Daniel nine, that uh, 70th shabuah or seven year period, right? So you have the 69, um, and this is why when Jesus goes to call his disciples, a lot of them just drop what they're doing and they, they follow him. Um, so you know the Bible tells us when the Messiah would actually come. Then there's a gap, right? There's you have the Church Age, and then that last seven-year period is for the Jews again, right? So that that period is a three and a half period right in the center of that seven-year period, uh, or the the real, the middle of the Great Tribulation. You'll listen if you're. At the end of this, talk to me, write down notes, send me an email. I'd love to answer your questions. When I first started studying the Bible almost 30 years ago, I was like, what is this? (laughs) You know, God, you just got to stick with the Lord. You know, people want to practice for months and years to be good skiers or uh, good piano players, you know. The things of the Lord are much better than that. They last into eternity. And, and some have the attitude, they, I, I don't understand it. I'm, I'm not going to do this. Anymore. I'm not going to read the Bible. Are you kidding me? This is your eternity. We put so much effort into silly things that don't last. But how much effort do we put into the things of God that c- continue on for eternity? You know, I would call my friends at 1130 at night and they'd say, Joe, go back to sleep. I'll talk to you about that passage in the morning. So I just wanted to know, you know, and, and here we are. But it didn't, I didn't come out of the womb knowing the Bible, okay, just so you know that. Um, all right, so let's get back to this. Satan, the embodiment of Satan, who he manipulates on this earth as far as leaders who are godless— he first tries to destroy the baby or the child that's going to rule with a rod of iron or the Messiah, and it fails. So when Christ um, dies for our sins, he's resurrected. He ascends into heaven. Satan can't do anything. You know what I think? I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for Satan, but I think that he thought when Jesus, he, or, he already knew Jesus as his Lord in heaven. He rebels. The angels disperse. They're in rebellion and I think that Satan might have thought that, well, he, if he's God in the flesh, he's weak. He's in the form of a man. Now I can kill him. He's, he's vulnerable. But he learned very quickly that that wasn't going to happen. So who can understand the mind of the criminal, the criminally insane, right? Okay. So what happens is the, the dragon leaves the child alone because the child's not there anymore and goes after the woman, Israel, because Israel birthed the Messiah, and I think a lot of Christians need to understand that. Some denominations are, for some reason, they don't cover the Old Testament. They, they don't make the church palatable to Jewish people coming in. I don't understand any of that. Because if you take the Bible in its totality, we're all here. We have actually probably about 20, 24 Jewish people in this church that, you know. So anyway, we'll move on. You, you see, Okay. <laughs> There's just so much here. I get very excited, and um, I don't want to belabor certain points, but let me move to verse 7. So more is happening here, the second part. The war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon. Now, you start to see that his, you know, you'll see his names change. You know, Satan, right? Lucifer, Satan, the dragon. And all of those words have meaning, okay? And we'll, we'll cover some of that. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer, meaning the bad guys. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, now he's the serpent, right? That was the vehicle he used to deceive mankind to begin with, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him. So now people can overcome The demonic forces how by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now, I I love, and, and I say this affectionately, I love dealing with, it's just a part of who I am and where the Lord has led me. I love trying to win critics over and one of the things they'll say is, um, "That's kind of mean." They're gonna—he's God sending Satan down, and you know, it's like God makes bad decisions, and he's, you know, whatever—he's awful. One, people do that. God's perfect in everything He does. Remember, this is a time, and we're already seeing the seeds being sown in our culture and overseas. There's hatred, wars, and and strife, and and everything that could possibly divide us—we we go into our camps and we fight against each other, and. Um, it's a time that's completely thrown out God. It's a time that's uh, push God out of the way for self-rule and for uh, that power vacuum to be filled by demonic entities. Um, when I covered Revelation 9, it was heavily into these demonic creatures that start to arise because they're pretty much welcomed by the culture. So it isn't that God is being mean. It's, I think one of my messages was, was tiled, titled, Give Them What They Want. This is where the world is going. I'm going to make some connections here. And, and i tell you, more and more people are worshiping Satan and doing demonic things and doing horrible things to children. And i am tell you something, there's a connection there. There's a connection. And we'll talk about that. It's sick. It's not what God wanted. And God is basically just removing his hands and saying, if this is what everybody wants, have at it. But I'm only going to allow it to last so long and then I'm going to end it. That's my paraphrase. So two is the war in heaven. Now, some look at this, micro, remember, micro, macro. Some look at this and say, this is all taking place at that three and a half year mark. In that last week and all the revelation judgments and right in the center, the war breaks out. But I look at this as, again, diachronistic. This is something that's been going on since Satan and his followers rebelled. Um, It's almost like God finally gets his law enforcement team together to round up the bad guys. Okay. Michael and Satan are both archangels. They're generals. They have troops under them. And apparently it does appear that there was three archangels. You know, it's speculation. I can't say for sure. Lucifer, um, Michael, and Gabriel. And they were three archangels who had a third of the angels apiece. So when Lucifer or Satan takes the third with his tail and throws him down the earth where he is, um, his troops are loyal to him. And you, yeah, you see, and this is the, we have these arguments today. Money fixes everything. Just throw money at people and everything will get better. No, it's the Lord. Like, what was the problem with the living conditions in heaven? Did God not give them a good health benefits plan? Like, why would they rebel against God? It's the same thing with our federal head parents in the beginning in Genesis. They had everything. They had everything. They had abundance. Why did they turn against God? You know what I'm saying? You ask these questions. And today, we even have a government that, um, in many areas, that is not interested in Jesus Christ. It's not interested in bringing people together. They have all their solutions, none of which has to do with God, right? But there's two specific examples, some macro situations where the conditions were perfect and they still sinned. We're hopeless without Christ. And that's the truth. Okay. Back in the day, I did a lot of weird stuff before I was a Christian. I, I, for some reason, I loved to be scared by horror movies, and I still remember them, right? That was the thing. I would always watch these horror movies. And if you watch Hollywood enough, you think that, that Satan and God are equal. That's not true. What this shows is that the angels and the angels are equal, the, the bad ones and the good ones, and the good ones win. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are outside of it. When, the, when Christ returns to the earth, it probably doesn't take long before he vanquishes the demonic forces. He, there's no wrestling. There's no fight. Um, the famous movie that started all this was The Exorcist. It was probably two hours long. I said if the movie was done biblically, it would probably last at about two minutes. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't done biblically, okay? So get the culture, erase the culture from your mind, and let's focus on what's going on here. This is the truth. This has always been the truth. Remember, the devil is a deceiver. He also works through industries. He works through multimedia, right? And the church is supposed to be a preserving influence, but largely the church over the years has not always done a great job. But that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be sharing the truth. We're supposed to be educating people. We're supposed to be, you know, a preserving influence and bringing the communities together, right? Um, So, I mean, I think this 2020 has shown us that we need to step it up a little bit. Okay, even Jesus, when he was on the earth with the demonic, the man who was possessed by all these demons, um, as soon as Jesus reaches the shores with his disciples, they see what looks like a crazy guy. You know, he's out of his mind. Um, He's possessed by demons. You know, Mary Magdalene had seven demons, and Jesus changed her life by casting them out. Uh, I suspect that probably in our lifetime we'll run across somebody that has some type of demonic possession, and we might just think it's mental illness. Right? So, you know, Jesus comes ashore and the disciples are probably incredulous as they see this discussion between the man and Jesus. And the man says, we, we're legion. We're many. There's a lot of us in this guy. And they said, please, Jesus, don't throw us into the abyss. So here you have a multiple of demons. that could have been a thousand. And they're begging Jesus not to destroy them before the time. So tell me that Jesus is, you know, Satan is equal to Jesus. Absolutely not. He's God. He's God the Son. We need to understand these things. Verse 8 and 9 it says there was no place in heaven for them the rebellious ones. They were cast to the earth and there's layers of separation that Satan has from God. When you read Isaiah it's a beautiful picture of Lucifer who was created in the beginning and he was created perfect with these instruments. So Lucifer or Satan started number one with full access to God in the beginning and then when he sinned, he was given limited access. He still sometimes, you know, respectfully sought God and told him about Job, um, you know, or God brings up Job and and they have a discussion about him. Um, Satan is an accuser of the brethren right now. He's probably accusing some of us, probably me, um, but I've had my sins paid for by the blood of Christ, so I'm good Uh, we go from full access to limited access to no access and eventually the lake of fire so you see these degrees of separation he deceives the whole world he deceives the whole world this is why it's important for christians for us to know our bibles because there's some preachers on tv that take one verse twist it stretch it cut it up slice it and dice it and by the time they tell you what that verse means it doesn't mean what god meant it to mean because there's no context. Um, that, that's frustrating to me in what I do. And a lot of people believe these false preachers. I can tell a Christian who watches too much TV and not enough in God's word based on what comes out of their mouth. You know, does talking points from Fox or CNN come out of their mouth? Or does a cl- cl- lucidity of seeing what's actually going on in the world based on their knowledge of the scripture and prayer and the, and the word of God. So Satan can deceive us too if we're not prepared, right? The Bible tells us that Satan comes as an angel of light. And some in the church, sadly, do things and get involved in things that they think are from God, but they just have been deceived. And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch because you know in your heart that that's not what's good for them and it's not what God wants. But you, it is what it is. Verse 10 through 11, point of interest, um, there's victory declared, But nothing good has happened yet. (laughs) We see this a lot in the book of Revelation and the scripture where they, uh, the saints or the angels, uh, victory is declared. Um, And it's, it's some, one of those things where God says, I'm going to do this and you can rest assured that it's going to happen. So it's an exciting time in the heavenlies when the, the angelic host and whoever else is up there is rejoicing and saying, the time is coming. Uh, The Lord is going to rule. It's all good stuff. Now, I just want to make this point uh, crystal clear, is that is that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the sisters, sisterhood, but in 1 John 2, it says that we have an advocate with the Father who, that's Jesus Christ. That's pretty impressive if you think about it, um, an advocate or like a, a defense attorney. You know, so... You know, Jesus opens up the books. We see this later on in Revelation. The book of life, is your name in it? Is it not in it? My question to you is, do you want it to be in it? Based on where you put your trust and your faith in. You want your name to be in the book of life? I know mine is in it because, not because I'm better than anybody, but because I, I followed the instructions that he told me to follow. And I believe it. But in, in one sense, the great white throne judgment, the Lord is the judge and he has to judge sin. But for the believer in Christ who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, it's almost as if I'm in the courtroom and the judge is like, here's a list of all your sins, Joe DiProsimo. And I'm like, oh. And Jesus is standing next to me. And um, the judge says, well, how do, how do you plead? And my counsel says, oh, he's guilty of sin. What? You're not supposed to say that. But, your honor, I paid for those sins. And he's trusted in it. See, Listen, when we watch TV and we see uh, the worst type of person get away with something, it it bothers our sense of justice. Um, So our sins, our offenses against God are an injustice, but in Christ, they've been paid for. So it's not like God just whitewashes it. It's that it has been paid for, but we couldn't pay that price. Only Jesus could. And if Jesus isn't God, then he couldn't. Right? It's God the Son who paid for our sins. Important stuff. Verse 11, it says that, now this is interesting, how the saints saints could overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Number one, Jesus told his followers, don't fear the one who can harm the body, but after it takes the body, it kills you, there's nothing else it can do. Respect the one that can take the body and the soul. So, if, even if we, we get killed or something, missionaries it happens to, martyrs, um, they know where they're going when they die. Amen. Um, two is the penalty for for our sins, the accuser, he has no power anymore to accuse us because we know he can spew all day long about what we've done, but that penalty's been paid for. So, that's the second way that the uh, because we can't, if we, if we were to have a toe-to-toe with Satan, we're all going to lose. This is how we overcome. Three, three is that we can't be deceived by him anymore. The Apostle Paul speaks about people in the world who haven't trusted Christ, who have almost like spiritual cataracts. They think they see, they think they know, but they're not seeing the spiritual element behind it. Paul tells us that when we are believers in Christ, we all of a sudden those scales are removed we can really see things more clearly because we couldn't back then. We see things through the prism of Christ and his word. So there's three ways that, that we can overcome. And it says that they didn't love their death, their lives to death. Now remember, in this, this is a very dark time period, which is in the earth's future. Uh, those who are coming to Christ because of this antichrist and his rule, this globalist, um, he's heavily persecuting them. So they have to make a decision. Nobody wants to give up their life. Nobody does. But the attitude is, well, if, if something has to happen, I want to be assured of my eternal life. And some of them lose their lives in this time period. But they didn't love their lives as much as they loved their eternal life. And verse 12, it says, Satan's time is short. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing that today. Uh, we're seeing it play out in our culture that Satan is behind a lot of the division. He loves to divide people. Now, Galatians 6, 9 tells us, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I just want to encourage you with that because some of you are trying and 2020 between COVID and, uh, you know, the unrest and, you know, just the more, the vitriol on social media, my goodness, It's everywhere everyone's angry at everybody else. I think the worst thing that uh, was interjected into uh, our social lives is a keyboard. You know, we tend to, and I've seen this, people tend to be so nasty on a keyboard, but when you meet them in person, they're more likely to have a discussion with you. I think that separation, the phones, the keyboards, even in the car, road rage, if you met that person in a park, you'd probably say, hello, they'd say hi, you know. But when you're in a car and they're doing something that annoys you you, you, you get angry. So anything that separates us as people is going to cause that, that uh, to fester. Amen? So, you know, back in the old days, people talked, they walked. They dis- I, I have a, a funny thing that I say is that I remember a time when I was young where you could disagree with people. You could be on the other side of the political spectrum and you could Passionately argue about it and still be friends. Go play ball. Go have uh, lunch. I think it's good for us, no matter where we are in our belief systems, to get to know people who are different than us. Because it, it adds an, another layer of our well-roundedness. I love that. People ask me, you know, would you talk to this person? Would you talk to that person? Would you talk to a Satanist? Yeah, I have. It, it's just, to me, it's I want to win them. To the, I want to get them over the, the finish line. There's, um, and I, I vetted this. I, I saw a meme, and I thought it was too good to be true because it was so awesome. There was an African-American gentleman who went to, um, one by one, to KKK members. It, this is current. And he would talk to them, and he would get them to leave the organization. Like, he, he was a Christian, and he loved them. And it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. And that's another thing. We want everything to happen fast. And I'm like, no, this can't be. And I actually, I always vet because there's so much fake information out there. And I'm like, that's a beautiful story. And he has all these people that left the the hateful KKK organization, um, and they renounced it. They burnt their robes. And I was like, this is so amazing. But what did he do? He used the power of Jesus Christ, the power of love. Who doesn't want love? Listen, I've met the biggest, most muscular, tattooed, toughest gang members. And when you start to have a dialogue and you show them that you love them, they melt. I'm I'm telling you, love is very, very powerful. It's extremely powerful. I've experienced it in my life. So, where was I? But that was a that was a good little aside, though, wasn't it? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I don't know where I was. Uh, (laughs) Okay, as time is short, take hope. Okay, keep doing good, folks, and, and sometimes we do good, we do good, we do good, and this has just been a very trying year. Nobody knows what they're doing. Our leaders don't know what, are, what they're doing, but God takes note of it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving people. Keep feeding them. Keep ministering to them. Keep, you know, just keep doing that, and Galatians 6, 9 tells us to do that. We're going to re- reap a reward, and just re- real quick before we go into the last uh, section is it says the three woes, uh, three woes have passed. Now, we saw one woe in Revelation 9:12, one in 11:14, and one in 12, 12. And they all have to do with this resurgence of demonic activity. Okay? And we're seeing more and more in our culture. This, all right, verse 13, continuing on, last few verses. It says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He talked about that. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, right, more symbolism, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. So that's like the fourth way to say three and a half years. So it just keeps coming up. From the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So three out of three is the war on the earth. Okay. Lucifer, the fallen angel, the devil, Satan, dragon, accuser, serpent. Um, Remember, everything that the the dark side does is to be a counterfeit of, of good. You know, Christ has many names. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lion. He's the Lamb. He's God the Son. He's Yeshua. Isaiah 9, 6. He's El Gibor. He's all these incredible things. Satan also takes terms for himself, and each one of those terms means something different. You know, I, I, again, the skeptics, well, you know, the Babylonians had three main gods, and, you know, there's no such thing as the Trinity. Let's back up for a second. Father, Son, Holy Spirit came before anything. What happened is, remember, you're 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 in reverse. You're going backwards. God is first. God is the prototype, and then everything else that's evil tries to mimic it, right? So when the Antichrist comes, he'll have a false prophet, right? He'll have um, the dragon. He'll there'll be a false Trinity. Um, They try to emulate the things of God. You know, God His Shekinah glory was in the holy of holies. When the Antichrist comes, this global, charismatic leader, he will actually stand in the holy holies um, looking to proclaim himself of, as God in Jerusalem. So remember, everything that God does, Satan tries to counterfeit, and he, he does deceive and fool a lot of people, right? I mean, if you're going to, that's actually a form of flattery. If you're going to counterfeit or try to emulate something, that's perfect. Of course, he doesn't do a good job, um, and he's going to be exposed for it. So a lot's going on here. Um, so Satan, again, you, you look at some of these things, and, and you, I, I, have, um, I reconnected with some of my college friends on Facebook. And once I friended one, like 10 others wanted to friend me. And it was cool because I've been having a discussion. I've been putting the messages uh, on my wall and one of my friends has been really engaged. He's probably watching now. And, and I just I sent him back, do I have the wrong person or are you Jewish? He goes, yeah, I'm Jewish. He goes, I really like your sermons. So it kind of opened the door for me to talk to him about the Old Testament prophets. And he goes, yeah, I'm a little rusty with that. I said, well, and now I'm trying to say to him, you know, look at Isaiah, look at Jeremiah, look at these prophets that prophesied about the Messiah, that there was a certain time. It was so cool, the conversation that I was having with one of my college buddies. Um, yeah. So they get to see how I've aged in 30 years. I get to see how they've aged, but that's life. We're eternal inside. (laughs) Why did I say that? Um, Continuing on. Verse 14. After the Antichrist or the globalist breaks his treaty in the middle of this three-and-a-half-year period, or seven-year, but the three-and-a-half is right in the center, what happens is the Jews end up fleeing to Jordan. And I probably should have put up a map here, but... Um, in, in Exodus 19, God uh, metaphorically speaks about kind of protecting the Jews on, on eagles' wings or wings. So this has been said before. We've seen this in Isaiah 40. So this is a symbolism of God's protection, not allowing them to be uh, annihilated. I want to read to you two quick scriptures, and then we'll close. I'm actually going to start with Daniel 9, 26 through 27. If you're struggling with this, which I did in the beginning understand that what God does is, it's an amazing thing, he doesn't dump everything on us right away. What he does is, usually in the Old Testament, you'll see something, it's nebulous, it's not completely clear. Then Jesus, hundreds of years later, he explains what that means. And then you have a book like Revelation that gives you even more detail. So it's almost like every time you look at it, you see more detail and it becomes clearer. So in Daniel chapter 9... If we can turn to that, he says, verse 26 and 27, he's speaking about these, this 70-year period. He's speaking about when Jesus comes. He's speaking about his um, crucifixion, his resurrection. Um, and then he speaks about this break where the church age gets ushered in, and then the, the last period, 70-year uh, period, comes in again. But he says, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, which means to be killed, right? This is the crucifixion, but not for himself, Jesus didn't die for his sins because he doesn't have any. Jesus didn't die because he did anything wrong or illegal because he's perfect. But it was not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, right, the false prince, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We saw this in 70 AD. We're also going to see it in in the future, in this, this time period. He shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant or a treaty with many or Israel for one week. But in the middle of the week or that seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, which tells us that a third temple will be built. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, let me jump to Jesus because he makes this more clearer, right? It, It makes more sense. Um, and it's, it's the time where Jesus feels he needs to discuss this. So in Matthew 24, starting with verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel in the, the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those with nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in, in winter or on the Sabbath. So Jesus now speaks to a future generation, which is our future, and says when this creep who deceives the whole world, this charismatic globalist, allows the temple to be rebuilt. He's standing in the Holy of Holies. He claims to be God. When that happens, if you weren't convinced before, get the heck out of there because what he's gonna do is gonna be terrible. Recently, I developed a friendship with a young man who served our country in the military in Jordan. When I was in um, Isaiah, I talked about Petra, the rock city. I talked about where Bible scholars believe the Israelites will flee eastward and cross over into Jordan and be protected in that rock city. So me and this young man had a long, dis- oh, I said, bro, I'm in Revelation. You are you in Jordan? So we had a long discussion. He told me about the king of Jordan, how the king of Jordan is friends with Israel, even though a lot of the surrounding nations are at enmity with Israel, he talked about, well, and I knew this, the king of Jordan led a a fighter squadron and bombed ISIS. This actually is historical fact. Um, He told me he was at Petra. I was so jealous. So he's, again, U.S. military. He's stationed in Jordan. He was at that rock city. So I'm describing him all the things that the Bible says, and he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, and I mean, they have latrines. They have stadiums. It's, I'll just tell you this, One of the mightiest militaries in the world is the United States military. We had a lot of trouble bombing Al Qaeda and the different uh, factions that were in Afghanistan burrowed into these mountains. Bunker busters, ba-boom, ba-boom. It looked like, oh, we definitely got them. They come out again after the bombing is done. So this Petra in Jordan is literally a city carved out of stone. So in the future, when these Jewish people are persecuted, this is the place that they would go. The government is friendly towards them. You can't get a tank in there, and you probably can't bust it up with a bunker buster. So again, this is written how many years ago? How the heck does a simple person writing this know these things without the Spirit of God? So when you understand geopolitics, even the peace deal done with the United Arab Emirates on the Arabian Peninsula, I love geography, and Bahrain was also the second, um, they call Arab nation to jump on board. This fits into Ezekiel's prophecy of the end times where all the battle lines are drawn, right? And the Arabian Peninsula is actually supporting Israel. We're seeing it happen in real time in this world. It's exciting. Okay. Um, and then Daniel 41 and Daniel 44. Um, th- there's more to it. E- even this, this global leader and when he's hot on the trail of these Israelites, uh, there's rumors of wars and, and he has to now divert from them anyway and fight other battles. Daniel was written uh, 2,600 years ago. So everything's starting to line up. I'll leave you with this last point. Verse 7, 17. Going back to Revelation, it says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So he can't do anything to the child. The child is caught up. He can't do anything to the woman. The woman is protected. So now he tries to go after the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this would be more of the tribulation saints that have arisen out of the woman or Israel because of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. 12,000 from each 12 tribes. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Like I said, if some of you are lost, it's okay, because so was I. Ask questions, write it down, send me an email. So I see some laughter. Uh, it's, it's just, it, it's deep. You know, again, the, the, the skeptics, oh, you, what you believe is a fairy tale. Really? Did you ever look at all the layers of this? So, Satan... It's sad that people can emulate this fallen angel. And whatever he does, he tries to get his followers to do. He's angry at God. He's angry at God the Son. He's angry at the Jews. He's angry at the earth dwellers. He's angry at Christians. And can I tell you something? There's people today that they're angry at everything. They're angry at their spouse. They're angry at their boss. They're angry at their friends. If that's you and that's a pattern you have to come to the Lord because only he can break that pattern. Do You realize in psychology that fear, I have a, a, I know at least one student here who's, that's her expertise, that fear and anger are intertwined. And nobody wants to be fearful. It's a terrible, vulnerable thing. So a lot of times anger covers fear. And sometimes people are angry and they don't even know why they're angry. So folks, this is where this stuff gets real. This is the real world, what we're reading. God is real. God proves that he's real. And everyone here in this room will end up somewhere in eternity, and it's your choice where you end up. If you don't have that eternal assurance, it should keep you up at night. And I don't mean to be mean, but it should, until you really consider Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And for my younger audience, (laughs) this is a red pill, blue pill moment famous movie. You could take the one colored pill, which you could stay in your fantasy world. You could stay in the matrix, right? And you can be in La La Land while they're pumping your body for nutrients and stuff and electricity. Or you can take the other pill, which you actually come out of the matrix. You come out of the fake world. This is a fake world, by the way. The Bible says that all this is going to burn up and he's going to remake everything you can come out of that fake world that we live in you could see reality sometimes it's a harsh reality but in the end it gets really good so i really want to encourage you with that the world is a sinking ship and it's not going to get any better and the title of today's message is the big picture because this is the big picture you know what are we what are you dealing with today you're dealing with a promotion you're dealing with a friend who stabbed you in the back you're dealing with a boss who's got it in for you you're dealing with family issues it's so myopic This is here to tell us that God is telling you, before you even existed, for thousands of years, all these cosmic things were happening. I, God, he says, I've created this. I've also created the solution. So as we close, you need to consider God.
0: You've been listening to, to every generation, from Calvary Chapel Crossfields.